The second Bible reading is from Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 20. It can be found in your view Bible in page 1258. Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Thanks for reading the passage tonight. Well, friends, uh, this evening we're going to look at uh, this topic of hope. I hope that this message will go well. Right, to get my... You're supposed to laugh at it, come on. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to look at God's word, but before we do that, let's uh, come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are the God of hope. Uh, we thank you that uh, we can come to you tonight. We ask, O oh Lord, that your spirit will minister uh, to our hearts today, that you would encourage us, that we'll be filled with the hope that we have in our great God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, the story is told of uh, that at the end of World War II, a U.S. submarine came back to dock at the port. As it came into port, something terrible happened to the submarine, and it began to sink. The Coast Guard was immediately dispatched to save the crew and to dive down to the submarine. And as they approached it, they heard a sailor using a hammer to tap the mouse code on the hull. And his question was this, is there hope? Is there hope? That was his question. Is there hope that we will be saved? And I think that is a fundamental question that we perhaps ask many times in life. Is there hope? Where can I find real hope? Perhaps when we look at our world, we look at our country, we look at what's going on in the international scenes, we perhaps maybe at times move to ask that question. Where can I find real hope? Is there hope for me in this world? It is perhaps a question that is asked every day by people in many different ways and circumstances in life. For example, when someone is sitting in the doctor's uh, waiting room, and awaiting the results of their test, the anxiety that it might cause, the questions that come up in your mind, in their minds, is there hope? When a family hears that their, ch their child has got an incurable disease, the question is, is there hope? When someone is rushed to hospital in a serious condition, the question, is there hope? Perhaps you've been applying for jobs, 
you're finishing your university course and you're looking for uh, your career pathways, you apply for jobs, you don't get any response, and the question might be, is there hope for me? And so for us, the question is, where can I find real hope also for my life? Is there hope for me in 2018? Is there hope for me to look forward to the future? And so the Webster's uh, Dictionary defines hope in the following. It says to desire with expectation of fulfillment. To desire with expectation of fulfillment. That is, it is a desire that you have that one day that that desire, that anticipation will come into a reality. Right? You desire to have something, you hope for something, and you look forward to the day when that hope becomes not a hope, but actually a reality in our lives. That dream that you had becomes a fulfillment. And it is, what, it is hope that keeps us going. So hope always looks to the future. It makes a dismal day bearable because it promises a brighter future. And so without hope, we can easily give up and give in to despair, can't we? And so I want you to keep your Bibles open tonight, if possible, to Hebrews chapter 6. As we look at our text tonight, verses 19 and 20, just two verses, but we will look at Hebrews chapter 6 to make uh, a better understanding of these two verses that we have tonight. So Hebrews is a wonderful letter. It is a letter that has been, uh, we don't know who wrote this letter. The author to the book of Hebrews uh, brings in some very significant, meaningful connections with the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Hebrews is immersed with the Old Testament. Many, many times as you read through the book of Hebrews, you would see that the author is so concerned to bring the connection between the Old Testament right into the New Testament and to bring into fruition an understanding of who Christ is with the light of the Old Testament. So it's a book that is deeply immersed also with the Old Testament. And so today we're going to look at uh, this uh, text that is before us uh, tonight. It's a wonderful passage. Uh, we, it says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you want to read about Melchizedek, you can read chapter 7, all right? We're going to look at Melchizedek tonight. And tonight I want to look at this passage, this text, under just two points. One is the anchor of hope, and secondly, the assurance of hope. The anchor of hope. Now the Bible uh, uses many helpful words or pictures in the Bible to describe spiritual truths. And in this text, we have the picture, we have the word that is used as an anchor. Now, I'm not sure whether you've been on a cruise ship. Perhaps that's your hope for the future. I'm not sure. Fun? Hopeful? All right. Okay. Uh, maybe you have sailed on a ship or been in a boat with an anchor. And so we get the idea of what an anchor is. And speaking of ships, friends... Now, this is something that you might want to hope for one day. <laughs> that is one of the biggest cruise ships to be commissioned, I understand, in April this year. It's called the Symphony of the Seas. It will be the new largest ship in the world, the newest ship in the Royal Caribbean fleet. 
So it's been called the Symphony of the, of the Seas. It uh, weighs about 230,000 tons, massive. It has 18 decks, a whopping 6,780 passengers can go on this. And it's apparently, it's a ship that is so big that it will have seven distinct neighborhoods and the ship will have 10 stories. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's water slides, everything else. I mean, that's just amazing. So that's something for us to hope for if you want to go on that, right? Now, as we know, the ships, ships do have, anyway, I'll move from that. Uh, ships do have anchors, right? And it's so important that this anchor, for example, we, we, uh, we read of this. Uh, we have the archaeological evidence that anchors were used as early as 4,000 years ago by the Phoenician seafarers. And uh, it is said that the early anchors were nothing more than a large stone with a hole in the middle. And by the time of the Romans, they had perfect the shape of the anchors that we still use today. It has a vertical shank with curved arms on the bottom, and they are called flukes. I did some reading about these flukes, but the design itself is not a fluke. <laughs> right? <laughs> the design is not a fluke because it was designed to dig into the sand or to grab onto a solid rock. And so in order to appreciate the power of this word, picture, the anchor, we got to get this, our symbolism right. And if you look at the text here this evening, we see this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul that is firm and secure. Uh, the Greek word that is being used here is the word, uh, the, the word stable, safe, secure. And, uh, and it's combined with this word anchor. And so it speaks then something of what is sure and steadfast. And it speaks of the anchor of the soul. Notice that we have this in the text here tonight. For the soul. Now what's the soul? What do you think of the soul? See the Bible tells us this. That the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All right? So, in the creation imagery in Genesis, we note that man's body is formed first, but this body, without the soul, remains lifeless. And so when God breathes the breath of life into the body, then man or woman becomes a living soul. And so what we have here is that there is no hint of an eternal or pre-existent human soul. And so the soul is as much a creation as is the body. All right? Uh, Dr. Asis Prowl puts it this way. Uh, the, the late Dr. Asis Prowl, he died a, a couple of months ago, a wonderful Reformed Christian theologian. He says this, the Christian doctrine of substantial dichotomy is not dualistic. Man is not a dualism, but a duality. That is, we have a real body, a material substance, and we have a real soul. So the soul survives the grave when a person dies. Do you believe that? Think about that for a moment, all right? The soul survives the person when he or she dies. For the soul, as a created entity, is mortal. Alright? But the soul survives the grave 
only because it is sustained and preserved by the power of God. And so the soul of a person can live without the body. Yeah? But the body cannot live without the soul. Why do I say that? Look at what Jesus says. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And so the soul is preserved for eternal blessings for those who are God's people, will live with Christ in heaven, and it is preserved for eternal punishment for those without Christ in what we call hell. And so in this life, we go through many challenges and afflictions, and our souls can go through what we might call the dark night of the soul, where your soul can be so heavy. And so the psalmist says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you broken hearted, O my soul? And so sometimes in our lives, whatever the face we might be in our lives, there may be those moments in your life and in mine when we have the dark night of the soul, where the soul is so afflicted and the soul is so heavy and the soul is so broken and it is weeping and is going through the challenges deep within ourselves. You know that feeling, right? And so that soul can be buffeted from time to time. Now Charles Spurgeon, the, one of the greatest, greatest preachers, the great Baptist preacher said this, our God has provided us an anchor to hold us fast, lest we be shipwrecked, lest we be unhappy, lest we lose the progress we have made, and lest our, lest our character should become unstable and therefore useless. These purposes are kind and wise. Let us bless the Lord who has so graciously cared for us. And so we need this anchor to prevent us from drifting. Your soul and mine, when you come to God through faith in Jesus, isn't drifting anymore. Even in the dark night of weeping of the soul, the soul is not drifting. You know why? Because it is anchored, it is secure, it is stayed in the person of Christ as we will see. It is steadfast, it is sure, it is anchored, it is prevented from drifting in the midst of the storms of life. It helps weather the storms of life. And boy, don't we get hit by the storms of life from time to time? Don't we? Well, where do we anchor then? Uh, just this past week, I actually wrote a completely different sermon for today. I wrote Psalm, a sermon on Psalm 32. A sermon is fresh in my mind as well. But on Friday, I mean, I was, I was preparing this psalm, and then I had a call about one of my colleagues, a minister, a minister at Romana. He died uh, this past week of cancer. Uh, he served with me on a committee for about five years together. The congregation is in, 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 in grief. The family is in grief. Uh, all of these things. 
that, that was not the main reason, but I, I went to my office on Friday morning and I thought, what, what can I share with God's people on this Sunday? Second Sunday, 2018, 14 days old already. <laughs> What's the hope for 2018? And I sat down and I wrote a, this, this talk, completely wrote this talk. And uh, I must say this, Rose asked me, how come normally you start your sermon on Tuesdays? How come within a day and a half you finish the whole message? It happens, dear. It just happens. <laughs> right? Okay? Because I was thinking about real hope. I was thinking about what do I share with you as a people for our New Year as well. You see, this, this hope, friends, is what we need in our lives. It is sound. It is safe. It is secure. It is anchored. And so what is the object of the anchor of hope for us? And so we see the assurance of hope. Look at your Bibles, please. Uh, look at... Um, Hebrews chapter 6, 19. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now let me come back to Hebrews chapter 6, okay? So in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, we read about the warning against apostasy, about the possibility of falling away from the original confession of Christ. Hebrews chapter 6 has been commented by many commentators as one of the hardest chapters, uh, perhaps in, 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 in the Bible itself, because it speaks about a person having faith in Christ and then possibly falling away from faith. I won't get into that this, uh, this evening. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, 9 to 12, we read about the evidence of grace of God in the lives of these people. Have a look at this. Friends, he says, I see the evidence of God's grace in your life. One, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and your love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and is still ministering to all the saints. In verse 10 he says, I can see from the way you love one another, from the way you work for one another, for the way you minister to one another, that God is at work in your lives. And again he goes on to then express his desire for the congregation. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize full assurance and so forth. And so whilst he talks about these outward evidences of God's grace in their lives, it's very important to understand that their assurance is not based upon the outward evidence. Right? It is based upon something beyond this. And so look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now, let me come back to this hope, all right? So that is what he's saying here. Don't become sluggish in your journey in the Christian life. Don't kind of waver away, but keep on in this journey. Keep on being stable in your faith. That there be stability for you as a Christian so that you are actually journeying with a stable approach to your Christian faith. Follow those who have actually imitated that faith as well. And then the author of Hebrews begins this section of the basis of our hope. You see, the basis of my hope and your hope is not in our faith. Do you think that the basis of our hope is in our faith? What do you think? Question, right? The basis of our hope 
is not in my faith. The basis of my hope is going to the object of my faith. Right? And so, to make the point, the author to the book of Hebrews brings us in to Genesis chapter 22. And he talks about, who is the guy he talks about there? Free to speak, friends. Abraham, all right? And he brings Abraham into the picture. And now you might say, what is this author trying to do? Why is he bringing Abraham? What has Abraham got to do with hope? It doesn't make sense, you might think. Well, it does. Because have a look here. Hebrews chapter 6.14 is a direct quote from Genesis 22. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6 is a direct allusion to a verse in Genesis chapter 22. And so clearly Genesis 22 is on the mind of the author of Hebrews as he begins to explain to us the basis of Christian hope. Now what's significant about this? Let me say this. God promised Abraham to multiply and give him a great nation. All right? Was Abraham a young guy? No. What about his wife? No. How is God going to fulfill this promise? Amazing. So, who comes then according to God's promise? Who is born from Abraham? Isaac. And then what happens to Isaac when he's born? What does God tell Abraham to do? He tells Abraham to do something weird. What does he say to Abraham? Abraham, I want you to now... Just imagine what Abraham must have been thinking. God, are you playing games with me? Right? He's not saying that we don't read that in the text. Right? Because he's saying to, to Abraham, take Isaac and then go and sacrifice Isaac. Can you imagine that? This is the promised child. And so Isaac go, uh, Abraham takes Isaac and he goes into uh, this mountain to Mount Moriah. And then he's about to sacrifice his son. And God says, Abraham, no. And in the thicket was a, a ram. And right there, God provided the substitute. Giving the picture of what is going to come in the future. Abraham had no clue about that at the time. And so here, Abraham still believed God. Believed his promises. And put his hope and his faith and his trust in this God, this God who promised everything. And so the author here is saying, you know something, this God is, who promised to Abraham that he would make him from Abraham a great nation, Abraham put his hope in this God, and so for us as well, we put our hope in this God who never fails is promises. That's the picture. Our God does not fail, does he? He says, I swear to you that I will bless you and I will multiply you. And then, look at verses 16, uh, 17 and 18. So when God decided to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. What a beautiful picture. You know, sometimes uh, we, we make promises. Not We do make promises, right? Do you? Have you kept all your promises? Come and see me after the service. We'll have a long chat about that, right? Have you? We haven't. Oh, uh, okay. Right? We haven't. We say things and we don't keep it. Oh, I will see you in one hour. Maybe five hours, you're still not there. I will do this for you tomorrow. It doesn't happen. Right? Uh, I will keep my word, but man, we don't. I will call you or text you. We don't call now, we text people, right? Text you in two days' time. No text. People make promises in marriage. Sadly, those promises are broken. We have people stand and make promises to be members of this church. Serious promises. We don't see them after a while. We break promises. You see, what God is saying here is, I don't have to make a promise. I don't have to take an oath. But look at what he does, friends, here. Right? God makes an oath. You see, we make promises, and sometimes we, we, we sign stat declarations, right? Uh, people come up to me and say, can you sign a stat deck? We witness a, a stat deck. Why do we witness uh, stat decks? Because we can lie, right? God does not lie. The Bible tells us that. He cannot lie. And so the text is so crucial here. It says... For God cannot lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope before us because our God can be trusted. It's not my faith that is my hope. You see that? It's my God who I put my faith in that can be trusted. And so is the God of hope. That changes it, doesn't it? So the author of Hebrews brings this out and God takes this oath because our faith is weak and God condescends to take an oath not because there is something lacking in him but because there is something lacking in us and he's willing to go the extra mile precisely because he loves his people and he takes this, this oath on top of his promise so that we can be encouraged to put our hope in this God so in 2018 how can we face this future? We can face it confidently because we put our hope in this God, this promise-keeping God. God's word, God's promise, God's covenant, God's oath it is what gives us a strong hope for the future. It steadies the heart. It steadies the soul. This kind of hope steadies us in the walk of faith this hope offers us stability during life's most difficult and challenging storms. And one writer puts it this way. This is the sheet anchor of the Christian's conviction. He knows his assurance depends not on the stability or strength of his faith, but on the absolute trustworthiness of God's word. And so tonight, I want to encourage us to put this, this hope, this confidence, this trust in this living God. This God who has spoken to us, the God who has given us his word, the God who keeps his promise that when the storms of life keeps battering us, when a ship 
is being battered by the water, so to speak. The anchor is down. And it is down on the great, eternal, sovereign, I am God, the God who does not change. When we put our hope in the things of this world, it will sink and pass away. But the hope in God is what gives us the joy, the peace, the strength every day. Don't you think so? Teach us to number our days right. It's the Bible text. Psalm 90. Right? Teach us to number our days right. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. For every day is a new day. And we live with hope. I was speaking to Owen about this this evening. And he said, yeah, we don't really think about every day as a new day, do we? When we think about Monday. Do you suffer from Mondayitis? You've got to get up and go to work. I don't. <laughs> I have no problem on a Monday. John doesn't have a problem on a Monday. We love our Mondays. You see, guys? Mondays are days off. Right? So, but every day. And so our hope is founded on our, uh, not on our faith, but on this God. And so the author of the book of Hebrews goes further and he, and he, and, and he brings this point. Now, ha have a look at this text. The metaphor is, is changing. There's a, a, a picture thing being played here. We have the anchor uh, that's to the soul. We have the promise that has been made. We have the picture of the oath that we mentioned. We have God. We have Abraham. We have all of these things mentioned. One minute we are on a ship in a stormy sea. We are dropped anchor. We are trying to stay stable so that we are not dashed against some sort of reef or rocks somewhere. And then suddenly we are suddenly in the text. Suddenly we are in. Where are we? Have a look. It enters firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. Suddenly, we are in the Holy of Holies. Do you see that? What a beautiful transition has taken place. He goes on to say something that is so amazing, so encouraging. So we've gone from metaphors right into reality. Alright? And what's the reality? Have a look at the reality here, friends. Jesus has gone behind, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And what a picture. He has become a high priest for us. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the, to the curtain in the temple? What happened? Torn in two. From where? From the bottom up? From the top to the bottom. And the priest was there. The people were there. Imagine, just imagine, we don't have a curtain here, so you can't imagine. All right. Imagine the people who were sitting there. And they've gone in. And then, before their eyes, the priest, the chief priest, the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. What is it symbolizing? No more sacrifices. No more Lamb sacrifices. Why? Because the Lamb of God has been sacrificed once and for all, for all our sin. That Jesus has paid the price for all the sin in your life and mine. And so this Jesus, who has done this amazing work, 
as now God into the holy of holies. And the text is so precise, firm and secure. It enters the holy of enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. And so, friends, our hope now has been transferred more into the very holy of holies, into the very presence of the throne of God, into the very presence of God. And this hope now is secure because Jesus is right there. And he's right there for you and for me. So that when the dark night of the soul of weeping, when the storms hit us and the waves come upon us, who is there for you? Who, who stands with you? Who do you think? Who is with you? Is this Jesus. And what a beautiful reality that is. When the weeping happens, when the soul is heavy, when the tears are coming, when the pain of the heart is hitting us, when the traumas and the challenges of life hits us from side to side, this Savior is with you because He has entered the Holy of Holies for you. What a beautiful hope that is. He's there in the heavenly Holy of Holies. The image has quickly moved on. And we are his followers. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As Christ is the forerunner. He can't be the forerunner unless you are there with him too. And so we have a sure hope. The author of Hebrews says our hope must focus on the promises of God given to us in the covenant, given to us in the gospel, and based on the priesthood of Christ, our Savior. And so tonight, our hope is a living hope because our Savior is the living one. And so we face life not as hopeless as the world gives us, but we face life, how friends, with full of hope. And our hope in this life may not, all our dreams and aspirations in life may not be fulfilled. All right? You know that. One of my dreams, I love cars, right? And I would dream, I would only dream to drive a nice uh, AMG C63 that has those beautiful mufflers that make the big noise, boom, 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 right? Or a Porsche or a Lamborghini and park it in the minister's car park and then speak about giving financially. <laughs> okay? No, no. That, that dream will never be. Who knows? You never know. <laughs> I live in hope. No. Our earthly hopes and dreams may sometimes never materialize, but it's good to dream on, right? It's good to dream on. I, I, I'll tell you this. I said to Rose, I went to a Porsche, Porsche place, I don't know whether I told you this, but I, I, and I sat in this beautiful car, $300,000, took a photo and sent it to her, said, I would love this for Christmas. <laughs> and then, then, to my amazement, she said, Chris, I've got you a gift. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And she bought me a little, uh, one of those matchbox BMWs, and said, that's your Christmas gift. That's the hope I had, it just was dashed. 
You see, friends, the earthly life, our hopes, we may never materialize. But ultimately, I want us tonight, for all of us to know, that this God is the living God. Our Savior is an awesome Savior. Our Savior has died for you on the cross. Our Savior has ascended, was raised from the dead, has ascended to the Father at the right hand. He is interceding for you and for me. He has gone into the Holy of Holies for you. And so the author is saying, be encouraged. And so Paul, writing to the Colossian church, says in Colossians chapter 3, 1 and 4, your lives have been raised with Christ and you are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Oh, what a blessing. And so be encouraged tonight. And so as you face 2018, I want us, by God's grace, to face it confidently. To live confidently. To know that your hope is secure in this Christ. To live with the vibrancy of the Spirit of God. Because Paul says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, a wonderful text. May the God of all, may the God of hope, it's a great text, all right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in, one word, hope. You may abound in hope. And so tonight, I trust that our lives will be filled with the spirit of hope. And I don't know your circumstances. You don't know mine, right? But God knows. And ultimately, that hope will be completely fulfilled. You know when? When? When Christ returns. And that hope will be ultimate, full reality in the new heavens and the new earth. Where there will be no dark night of the weeping soul. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. Our hope will have its total fullness in the very presence of the living Savior Jesus. And until such a day comes, let me say, like the author to the book of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You know the text? The author and the perfecter of our faith. And let us run the race that is set before us. May God give you that grace and give me that grace to live in the hope of this living God. Let's pray.